Welcome to Support Up Simplified, where we interview thought leaders in the great field of customer support operations to provide you with actionable insights from the brightest minds in the industry. And now, your host, Sid Bumbani, CEO of Sumati. So, Craig, uh, nice to talk to you um, after a while. Uh, um, thanks, Sid. Thanks for having me. <laughs> so, uh, I guess we'll we'll dig right in over here. Um, I, I really wanted to sit down with you and kind of get an idea of how you got into support, what you've been working on, um, and just give uh, the people who would be listening to this podcast a bit of an idea about you. So, how about you start with a quick introduction uh, sure. before I jump into some questions? Sure. Uh, my name is Craig Stoss. I am the director of support at a company called Arctic Wolf Networks. We're a security as a service company uh, based between California and Ontario, Canada. And uh, I have been in support leadership for about seven years between three different companies. And before that, in various customer roles, uh, customer facing roles for oh, probably the past 13 years before that. So it's uh, been a long customer facing journey for me. Yeah. And, and for people who don't know, the journey started together. Uh, Craig and I used to work together at a small company in Waterloo not too long ago. Uh, I don't want to make us sound old uh, so <laughs> long ago at all. Um, but, you know, from your perspective, Craig, what, what got you started into support? Yeah, so I, I got into computers quite early. I remember um, being in grade three or four and there was a computer in the back room, back of the room. It was a Commodore 64. And um, the, the rule in the classroom was, is whenever you finished your, your work early, you could go and use the computer and learn different techniques. And um, I really took to the diagnostic side of it. I would, I, you know, I love looking at, in that time, QBasic code um, yeah. and, and, and just looking at it and diagnosing it. And, and as kind of I started to get more and more computers, um, as, as I got my first computer in my own home, which was a rarity back in in the, in the 90s back then, and the internet uh, started to evolve, um, I quickly learned that I, I really enjoyed working with the technology, but I more specifically enjoyed the, the diagnostic side of, of, of things as opposed to you know, many people who, who like to get into the coding side, for example. And on top of that, I, my, one of my first roles, one of my first paid jobs was to train um, people on what the internet was and how to use it. Oh, it was cool. through a, a local library program. And it was a summer student program. And again, I found that I really enjoyed interacting with people. And, and so when I got out of the university and started doing internships through, through the university program, uh, it was just kind of logical to combine people and technology. And, and some of the, the initial roles I took were in, um, you know, correction uh, and then, of course, support. And eventually, I just settled on support uh, once I graduated, and that turned into more consultancy, and uh, and then back into support leadership because it truly uh, is a passion of mine to uh, to help customers and, and to to be part of that diagnostic and investigation. I, that's really uh, thrilling for me. Cool, cool. Now that's a neat story. So it's the people that that really got you into the role, and it was the the ability to work with them or or. You wanted to work with them uh, as opposed to just be on the technology side. So I guess from, from that perspective, um, describe the organization and the people who you work with today. So today I, I run a uh, backline support organization. So we're actually not, um, not uh, external customer facing. So we sell a service and, and our services engineers uh, provide that service to our customers, mm -hmm. and then they become my customers. So all of my customers today 
our internal customers, which has a unique set of challenges uh, when compared to external customers because yep. there's obviously more visibility of of internal things and there's less of an opportunity to to, to spin things or you know buy time uh, buy time yeah so <laughs> um, so yeah the the team I work with is a, a team of uh, seven um, people who are highly specialized in different aspects of uh, networking technology and security technology and. Uh, we're considered a third line support, the services engineers being kind of the frontline support, then they have an escalation path through a set of security specialists, and then those security specialists will escalate into to my organization. Um, it is actually reporting into the VP of uh, R&D, which is also a different uh, yeah. structure than traditional support. And the reason for that is that historically, this team has actually been, and to today, till today, has been embedded directly within uh, the various uh, uh teams that are set up within support. So um, we, we use a scrum methodology. And so the scrum teams um, each have, have a member of my team embedded on them so mm-hmm. that they can learn to be more specialized in their area. Yeah, that's pretty cool. That's actually um, a really neat way of doing more heavy lifting support without being directly in support so that you can actually get the time to delve into those gnarly issues, right? Because I know that's been a challenge in the past in, in uh, some other companies that we've had uh, the pleasure of working at together. Yeah, well, the, and I think this is actually the company that Sid and I were at actually had a very similar model to this. Yeah. Where we had a team of highly specialized senior um, support engineers. Um, I think the, the, the real advantage here is that um, you know, my team literally sits beside these people every day, learns their their sprints and their stand-up methodologies, learn where their strengths are. And so when there is a problem, we can escalate quite fast um, to get to the right people um, and we can use yep. the right language and, and, and we're learning hands-on. So every every day we're, we're actually uh, downloading information from, from a traditional development organization into support yep. such that we don't have to bother development as frequently as maybe some support organizations do, which of course results in you know more QA, more, more features, more defects being fixed, et cetera. Yeah, well, that makes a lot of sense. So, so tell me a little bit about um, the metrics you guys use. It would be, I'm assuming it would be significantly different from a standard support environment. So how do you merge support metrics into a Scrum-based environment for all practical yeah. purposes? Yeah, it's 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 that's that's actually been my first was my first challenge once I was hired here is to start to understand um, the metrics behind it all because they they traditionally didn't even have a system. Mm. They kind of they they sort of half used the development system, which in our case is Jira, um, but at the same time they they also because they were known entities within the company um, and the company expanded so rapidly, there's a lot of tribal knowledge. And so people are using Slack or email. Um, the customer facing tool that our, our security engineers use is Zendesk. Mm-hmm. And, and so often we get brought into that tool as well. So we were spread across many, many places. Um, so the single biggest one for us is, is SLA. Uh, and the reason for that is that if we we live in a security world, and so security um, uh, incidents I don't I don't necessarily want to call them breaches because that's not what what it's about. Um, you know, do have a higher priority of of investigation yep. because we have to react very quickly. And so, the single biggest metric is the time it takes us to triage and assign a, K, a ticket out to the right people. Uh, beyond that, uh, most of our metrics rely um, upon. Um, you know, the resolution time. Uh, we don't focus as much on things like MPS and CSET as we as we probably would on an external facing world. Yeah. Um, 
And I also focus a lot on uh, the amount of iterations. And the reason for that is that... So an iteration being like a handoff between front and back line. Uh, handoff as well as responses back and forth. So, okay. Yeah. You no, know, for a customer, you sometimes get in this loop of you email the customer, wait a day, the customer emails back and you email the customer back with some more ideas. Uh, and then they email back and you kind of get into these iterations of conversation. Yep. We're all internal. We have access to Slack together. We have access to, uh, to our conferencing tools. We, you know, we, we can see each other's calendars. <clears throat> My customers are internal. So that, that, that amount of iterations, that amount of back and forth needs to be zero as much as possible, right? Because it's, it's right. you know, as opposed to the, the whole traditional model of I'll email the customer back and wait, you know, it's now off my plate until the customer gets back. We're all internal. And so it's never off of our plate until the customer is satisfied. Um, and, and so that might entail waiting for the customer to take some action on their side. But generally speaking, um, I don't, uh, I really do focus to cut down on the amount of waiting time between responses because we just don't need to do it here. We can call the person, we can mm -hmm. book a meeting with that person, we can slack them a message quickly. Yeah. Um, so those are probably the three big ones that I focus on right now um, as part of my team. And um, we're constantly trying to figure out what metrics we can look at even further to, to be able to show the value to the organization. Right. No, and, and it's an interesting one, right? Because you said, since you guys are internal and you're providing that internal layer of support, um, you're not looking at CSAT or NPS, which it makes sense from an internal organization, right? Because if someone doesn't like something, they'll tell you. <laughs> yep. But I guess the, the part that's interesting to me is the flow through of the experience to the end customer, right? Um, so even though you're not measuring CSAT internally, there is a direct impact on customer satisfaction externally based on the services that your group is providing or the, the, you know, the manner in which it's providing it. Um, so, I mean, have you guys thought about how you're measuring the impact, if not, you know, the actual CSAT there? And uh, what, what are your thoughts on that? So, so we do, uh, yeah, I should, I should have clarified that. We do do MPS and CSAT as a company. Mm -hmm. um, uh, it, it's done by our services organization. The other thing to note is that as part of our service, uh, we, it, it, the customer is not always involved in it. Sometimes okay. the, the actual service means solving the problem and then notifying the customer after the fact, hey, we noticed this problem at you know eight oh five, and we we remedied it at eight ten. You know, just wanted to make you aware it happened. Here's kind of the summary of the issue. Have okay. a nice day. But they, uh, sometimes the customer is not even involved just by the nature of the service we provide. Um, but there is NPS and CSET run. Uh, how how we impact that as as far as my team specifically is is really important. Um, and and that's why the timing metrics to us are are really important because for every minute we delay triaging or um, not getting the right person on the phone or, or whatever it might be, um, you know, that's, that's a minute on the customer side or maybe even two minutes on the customer side by the time the person translates it for the customer to, to read yep. and understand. Um, and so we haven't started doing anything specific to that, but I, I really wanted to, uh, the way our systems are integrated, I'm hoping to be able to start saying, of the customer cases that were escalated into R&D, here's the time of resolve versus the time of resolve ones that were not in R&D and, and how do we shrink that, that delta. Um, but the, uh, the key for us is just, is getting the right people as fast as possible, just be the nature of security issues. And, mm -hmm. and so um, how I can improve that is just making sure that that structure is understood, consistent, 
and and uh, um, and smooth, right? It's, yeah. it's foolproof. It, you you actually touched upon something uh, that's a bit of a, a ideal scenario in some support environments, right? Which is the customer is not even involved when you see the problem, you fix it, and then you go and notify them. So that it's it's almost the epitome of support to have that proactive level of service. Um, that's that's great. Uh, the question I have is, you know, given that it's a security environment, um, how do you uh, engage them in a way that it makes uh, for a constructive conversation around, hey, look, we were proactive in resolving this as opposed to, you know, telling them about something bad that that potentially happened um, and, and they should be worried about. Do you know where I'm going with that? Yeah, I, I, I do. And I think that in our world, it's it's all about transparency, right? You know, um, the, the kind of the common phrase we hear around here is security is a people problem. Let's solve it with people. Okay. You know, automation can only take you so far. Um, you know, I don't know the exact numbers, but it's in the tens of billions of observations that our systems handle every day, but only a very small, small percentage of that has any sort of real meaning. And so we do use... Um, you know, certain AI and machine learning algorithms to make sure that we are focused on the right things. Um, but once something comes to us, it, it's, it's all about uh, ensuring, um, ensuring that our investigations are thorough, um, you know, provable, et cetera. So if we go to a customer, we don't say something like, oh, there was uh, a potential um, malicious login from, you know, from a foreign country. It's like this, we had a, um, you know, a, a person attempt to log in five times with wrong credentials at, mm-hmm. you know, 10, 7, 10, 17 a.m. on Tuesday from this location in this city, you know, and we immediately shut down that, that IP address. And right. here is the IP address for your reference. And like, it's a very, very specific investigation that, that's done um, because the idea is to show that we know exactly what happened. Uh, we knew how to stop it. And, 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 you know, um, if you, you have the right of, people on the job and we have the right people and, and then the customer can look at it and say, well, actually that IP address is familiar to us. Maybe this was, maybe this was a, a, a true, you know, uh, you know, something that we didn't need to block for whatever mm-hmm. reason, you know, well, someone was traveling to a foreign country or, or whatever it might be. So, uh, whereas if you just said, oh, there was, you know, there was a malicious potential malicious login, we blocked it. You know, you may not have that engagement, um, level yeah, of yeah. conversation. So I'm a big believer in proactive support. I'm a, a, I've given talks on it and, 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 and written articles on it. And I think that it's, um, we're getting into a world where, um, where that's becoming so much easier to do in the SaaS worlds uh, with machine learning um, in the background, yep. um, being able to diagnose problems in real time and either prevent them or recognize they're about to happen and, and divert the customer altogether. Uh, you know, is, is becoming easier. And, and I think that that's going to reflect in a lot of companies in the near term. Yeah. And, and you know, you, you mentioned something there almost towards the end saying, you know, you either resolve the problem beforehand or divert the customer in, in a way where it would be um, easier for them to get that help, right? Like, so where, where do you see uh, support heading in the in the next 10 years with the evolution of AI, where a lot of the service is either self-service based or proactive, like you defined it, right? Um, and, and I guess two parts to the question, um, how do you see that evolving and how do you see customer expectations evolving as part of that? Um, because now they're, they're coming to expect more of things, right? 
Yeah. No, well, and I think that's, I think the crux of what you just said is that customers are going to go to the vendors that provide that level of, of, of detail in their support and that level mm-hmm. of, of service. Um, how do I see it evolving? I really see SaaS-based companies specifically and IoT device companies too. I really see them um, embracing that, embracing the fact that they have all the data, um, that the that they can collect whatever data they want. They can split it in any way they want. Mm-hmm. Um, and they can start to understand, I call it where your customer is. And the idea is that if you understand where your customer is when they hit a problem, you can then solve it in that spot as opposed to forcing them to, to pick up a phone or send an email. You know, my example is if you have an IoT lawnmower and it's something bizarre happens, you know, in the back 40 of your, of your lot, yeah. uh, you know, are you going to really have someone uh, have to then pick up the lawnmower and move it inside and screen capture, you know, error codes or whatever's on the screen? <laughs> or you could have a support button that says, hey, you know, there's a button here or there's a menu option that says, I have a trouble, you know, here's all the diagnostics uh, and it uploads it to some server and, they, and, the, and yeah. the person calls you back immediately or, or you know, is able to diagnose it. Um, you know, my example that I, I talked about once was the idea that we can, we can wake up, we can ask our, you know, Google Home to reduce the temperature on our smart thermostat. We can walk out the door and take a smart car uh, to the to a mall, mm-hmm. which we then can use a you know a big tablet in the mall to find the store we want, and then we can use an app on our phone to pay for uh, to pay for the purchase. And at none of that point are you on someone's support contact page to find a phone number. Yeah. You know, at none of those points are you are you near a chat widget. You know. Yeah. Like, you know, if that payment fails in the middle of that store, what are you going to do? Are you going to send an email to your payment app company and say, hey, please support me while you stand there in the store waiting to buy your shirt? Yeah. So you're going to want that that error message or whatever that is to immediately notify someone at the other end and call you back. Um, I remember this happened to me about several years ago, probably about 10 years ago. I was making a purchase online of a flight. And when I hit the button to buy the flight, my phone rang like simultaneously. And I thought, well, that's a weird coincidence. <laughs> Not only was it a weird coincidence, it turned out it was the airline calling me to say that um, they had just got a transaction from my account. Sorry, it was my credit card company. I apologize. My credit card company calling me to say they just had a transaction from my account for a flight and wanted to make sure that it was me that did it. And I thought that service, right? And that was 10 years ago. Today, yeah. you do that in any aspect. So yeah. that's how I see it evolving. I see evol- it evolving to a point where Companies understand where their customers are when they hit problems or when they need help, and and um, and proactively solving it or or uh, helping them in that location. Um, and as far as the proactive bit, um, you know that could be as easy as a little pop up on your screen or or on your 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 app or whatever that says, right. "Hey, we noticed you clicked buttons one and three. You know, maybe you want to check button two too. And here's why you would check button two. You know, something yeah, like that. Because yeah. um, that that just prevents future errors." And Absolutely. as far as, um, as far as the where this is going, it, it's to me that's the, the crux of it is that I think customers are going to start demanding that service. They they don't want to email us, they don't want to text us or chat us. You know, I the concept of omnichannel is fantastic, but that's but that's actually if you think about it, that's actually fantastic for the support agents because they can work within a common tool. For the user, they don't care. They just want a convenient channel. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be using an app on my phone 
and have an error message that says, please go, um, please go and email support because then I have to switch screens from your phone. You know, if it, if, if, the, if it says, you know, you need a serial number, or are you going to manually type that serial number? You want to send that all to support automatically. And so when you call the support agent is like, Oh yes, I know exactly what you're calling about. I see the error message right here in the logs that were auto forwarded to me. Here's your solution or whatever. Yeah. Um, and, and I think I truly believe that that's the, the future of our support of support in general. Well, and that's, you know, I think if you talk to a lot of people, we can't get there soon enough, right? Because the number of times you've had to call into your cell phone provider to say, hey, it's me and go through a rigmarole trying to prove to them that it's you before they even answer a question for you. (laughs) That's happened way too many times to a lot of people, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, So, Craig, I know we go go back a while. Um, The one thing I wanted to ask you was who has been the one person um, who you've learned a lot from? about support, support operations, and customer experience. Um, and you can't pick me, so it makes it a little hard. <laughs> oh, that's a great question. Um, I, I, that's a really tough question. I, I think that probably the person that was the biggest influence on, on me specifically was uh, the, the boss I had right after I left the company that we worked at together. Um, he was a you know, very senior in the industry. He had been in, in, in technology for the better part of 30 years. He was the senior vice president of customer experience. And I think the, um, you know, his, his analogies mm-hmm. um, are, are, were just really poignant. And, I, and that really stuck with me and is, you know, just the, the thought of, okay, how many of the things that you do every day that are, 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 Easy, be, they're 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 made because they're easier for the support reps, as opposed to easy because they're made for the customer. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and and that was his philosophy was that, you know, we tend to think about well, what's you know, uh, ticketing systems like Zendesk are easy for the support reps. There's one tool, all the updates come into one place. The notification notifications come to them. They don't have to worry about it. They can see the statuses. For the customers, that that's not necessarily easy. You know, there's a lot of stuff in those notifications that customers don't care about, you know, all the, the preamble to, to those auto responses. Right. Um, they, there's, they have to create accounts for each of the, each of their vendors um, that, that have, that, that they need to contact if they want to be able to see their statuses. So that's a lot of passwords and things to manage. It's not necessarily set up for the customers. Um, and, and, and when you start thinking about it that way, you know, you start to think about even the wording you use, you know, like what are the, uh, uh, what are the phrases we use that we use because that's the simplest way for us to say it as opposed to the way the customer understands it. Mm-hmm. Um, I talk a lot about action plans and, and what I define as an action plan is as opposed to me saying, Hey, Sid, uh, can you check if the, the value of this pr- configuration is, is 10 and you come back and say, yes, <laughs> which is yeah iteration of conversation it's like listen you know i can say hey sid if the set if the value of this property is greater than 10 you need to make sure that this opera this setting is done if it's less than 10 you need to do something else if it's it is exactly 10 you need to do this third thing if the if the property doesn't exist you need to call me back immediately and provide me with this set of information so that i can solve your problem right that's easy for you because now you know exactly what my thought process is you know why you're looking at it and, and you're not feeling, you know, for the customer, you're not feeling helpless by just saying, yes, I've answered your question. 
you know, now what? What's now next? what? Yeah, what's next? And to you, me, you're giving them the whole plan for where we're going to go end to end without them having to guess the next step of the process. Exactly correct. And and that's what this this leader, um, you know, he he kind of gave to me was that sense of think about what the customer needs to be successful in all cases, even when you're delivering bad news, not. Um, not what makes it easy for you. You know, it's easy to fire off that question, put the status to waiting on customer uh, and, and forget about that, that question and altogether move to the next thing because uh, it's quick. Right? Yeah, so. that's perfect. In fact, that's a very impactful statement. And if, uh, if you take away one thing from uh, this podcast, it would be put yourselves in the customer's shoes and look at it um, in a way that's easy for them to understand than us. Um, mm-hmm. Cool. No, Craig, this was a great conversation. Uh, thanks for sharing all your insights. Uh, we're almost up for time here. And uh, thanks for uh, being on the show. Thanks, Sid. It was really fun. Great conversation and, and uh, look forward to speaking again soon. Awesome. Thanks for listening to Support Up Simplify with Sid Bambani of Sumati. Tune in next week for another interview with a customer support operations thought leader.